This is the Mulligans Podcast, a real estate podcast focused on the duo. We created this podcast to share the stories of real estate individuals who have built their business from the ground up or have lost everything and are working to get it back. I'm Hayden Wright. I'm Austin Cole. And And we we are your hosts. On today's show, we have Andrew Shutsky. Andrew is the chief information officer of a medical technology company, father of two, host of the Crushing Cashflow podcast, and founder of Redline Equity. Andrew is going to share with us today how he balances his very busy schedule, as well as how he has jumped into two apartment deals within his first five months of investing. Listen closely to today's jam-packed episode, and let's get right to it. Andrew, thank you so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate it, man. No, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you could uh, do do us a favor and tell the audience just a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah. So uh, I guess you're, you're a regular hardworking guy with many passions. Uh, so I guess first <laughs> off, you know, I'll start with the investing front. I've uh, been, been dabbling, I should say, in real estate since 2007, starting with the house hack. Many different uh, ventures between here and uh, there when I landed in multifamily space. We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, on the flip side of the coin, family man, two kids based out of Philly, Pennsylvania area. And then I got a full-time W-2, which is full, you know, fairly demanding. I worked pretty hard at that as well. So I try to, trying to balance everything is always fun. Yeah, definitely. So um, starting off with that, that, that house hack you did in 2007, what kind of led up to that? What even gave you the idea of doing that? You know, at the time, I had, I, to be honest, no idea what I was doing. Uh, I was just out of college at that point, and I needed a place to live, and I didn't really feel like paying rent, so I bought a house. And at the time, I was in consulting, so I was really never home. I was traveling on the road, actually, you know, ironically, in Texas quite a bit and Florida quite a bit. And I figured I put an ad on Craigslist, you know, just dating myself now, <laughs> just for like, hey, let me, let me try to utilize this, this unused space. And again, I had no idea what a house hack was. I wasn't calling at that point. And uh, it's funny, my, my, my now wife, who's my girlfriend at the time, was like, you're going to have this weird dude living in your house. And it worked out well because he was on the road when I wasn't. And when I was home, he was going back home to D.C. So hmm. anyway, long story short, you know, I was filling up vacant space. It paid a good chunk of my mortgage. That got me. Th- I always had an interest in real estate from, from early age, right? But at that time, I was just thinking, hey, I build my empire brick by brick, single family by hmm. single family. You know, this, the, at that point, you know, the down payments were, were the obstacle for me, right? Getting money to close on deal over deal and realizing the cash flow is like, you know, hundred to two hundred dollars a property, you know, you lead, pretty quickly leads to, you know, mm-hmm. a long, long road to to financial freedom, right? So that was my start. All right. So how did you kind of transition? Cause you mentioned uh kind of from this single family kind of thing to multifamily. How was that like j- big jump? Yeah, that, that's not a usual uh jump there. No, and it's it, to be honest, it was a, it was a meandering long road, and I would have taken a lot of shortcuts, and I would do it over again. We'll get into that later too. I'll save that for for the last uh, nuggets of wisdom. But so the housing and financial crisis soon followed me closing my first house. So at the time, it's it kind of scared me away. I was just talking about this on another podcast. It scared me away, and it shouldn't have, right? If I did it again, I'd go back and say, "Hi, hey, I should take advantage of those really crazy low housing prices and foreclosures." and you know, to be honest, I, I started getting interested in the short-term rental space before that, before VRBO and Airbnb were popular. And my wife and I started putting some offers in on some beach properties in Ocean City, Maryland and in the Jersey side. One up, you know, fast forward to 2014, 2015, closing on some short-term rental properties, which we still own today and still operate. 
And, you know, it did pretty well with that. And I was thinking that was going to be my road to, you know, this is going to be something I'm going to do forever. I'm going to just keep buying and, and, and either flip them or hold them and keep renting them. And, you know, there, there, isn't a, there is a potential there for cash flow and appreciation, but actually fast forward. To, so that was my plan for quite a while. Fast forward to 2019, not too long ago. My wife and I are on vacation in Fort Myers, Florida, and I was stumbled in bigger pockets. And I was dabbling there from time to time. And I found this thread by who happened to be a local syndicator who I went up investing his deals from you know here on out. And I read through, it was like 72 pages. And I read through them like front to back. It's the first time I've told this part of the story. I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, I just felt like this, this, this passion, like just kind of ignite. And from there, my wife will tell you, I just became obsessed. I read probably, I don't would say every multifamily book out there, but anyone that was readily available or on an Amazon top 50 list plowed through them, you know, started finding podcasts that are out there, similar to yours and mine, and just gobbled them up and just went kind of crazy. Got a mentor, you know, became really active online, started a podcast, and then, you know, eventually found my way into my first deal pretty quickly on the multifamily side. Interesting. So a lot of people are worried about overlearning. Um, do you feel that your time spent, you know, reading every, every multifamily book and listening to every podcast, do you feel like that was time well spent or do you regret not jumping in a little bit sooner? No, I mean, no, no regrets in general for me. I will say I, I tend to over-educate um, and that's, and there's an important, important distinction for me between, you know, you got to have enough education to be confident and competent at the, at the same time, mm-hmm. right? Some people read one or two books. I'm good to go. I'm fire into action. At the same time, you don't want to read 40 books and take no action. So at the same time, I'm building my website, starting my LLC. It's almost like something we could take as, as a textbook, right? I remember the best ever uh, apartment syndication book by Joe Fairless mm-hmm. was one of my, one of my tops. So I see it up on your shelf yeah. here. <laughs> it's still one of my, I mean, as many as I've read, that's almost like a, a textbook. You can almost, yeah. uh, I, as I'm reading it, I'm taking notes. I'm launching my LLC. I'm just starting to get my, my brand story together. You know, how am I going to communicate to my investors? Who's my initial thought pro- uh, base I'm going to contact? So it's almost like I was taking action as I'm reading that. If you read 40, 50 books, you become a professor, right? And it really doesn't get you anywhere. You'd be well-educated, well-informed, but not very dangerous if you're not doing anything about it. And the flip side, you know, reading one book and then launching right at full, full steam ahead will set you up for most likely, you know, not a great outcome. So there's a balance for me of like, you want to be educated. And I like, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I mentioned earlier, I'll tend to over educate myself. Just that's how I build confidence. And that's worked for me. Gotcha. Okay. So from the time that you read all 72 pages, um, how long from that point until you closed on that first deal, did you say? It wound up being about, I want to say four and a half to five months. So, you know, now I I guess a little bit of luck and a little bit of hard work, um, a little bit of perseverance, you know, meeting some individuals through that thread actually led me to some conferences, specifically the the MFIN conference, which is a great one. I mean, I went to Mm -hmm. as many as I could and it was when COVID times in 2020, it was really easy. Just click a couple of buttons. You don't have to get a plane ticket. Yeah. And just started hammering away at conferences and networking with people, which is a little more difficult virtually, but it's not impossible, clearly, right? So that's kind of how I found my way and my first partnership. And I was like, hey, man, I mean, at that point, you know, I, I was like, I have all these different skills. And I'm kind of spreading myself pretty thin. I can do anything you need me to. Where do you need help with, right? Where, where can I help? Is it just helping with the acquisition and closing and help capital raising and investor relations? Like I, I knew I had all these strengths, but at that point, I wasn't really fine-tuned. So what did you end up doing for that, that partner? 
Yeah. So it, it, it was kind of a, a win-win for, for myself and the rest of the team. The rest of the team had a lot of different deals going on and we're like, we just need, you know, someone knowledgeable, you know, they kind of, we interviewed each other to see if it was a good fit and it was, and like, we just need help getting this thing to close and getting the, the debt tightened up and getting the underwriting finalized and getting the pitch stack for investors ready and helping, you know, ultimately raising some money for it as well. Right. So kind of a jack of all trades in, in that first deal, uh, really trying to tidy things up with the broker and just get it over the line to close. And it was, it took a while, right? I mean, it's like, especially your first deal, you're kind of like, you know, fumbling your way through, but luckily I had a very experienced team behind me uh, to just button everything up and help I'll get it over the line and work with the attorney. So a little bit of everything uh, to get it to close in that first one. Interesting. Okay. And that, yeah. that same group of people, did you do your second deal with them as well? No, it was actually, uh, the timing's funny like that, right? It's like everything in life hits at the same time. I happened to be starting a new job in my W-2. The first one wasn't even over the line. I had a, a, another buddy I networked with on Bigger Pockets. We kept in touch for months and actually hadn't done anything. And he's like, hey, I could use the same thing. I could use a hand with this deal. Uh, he, he pulled me in like, hey, I need to help. I need to, I need templates. I need to build process. It was like a second or third multifamily deal. So he just needed the bandwidth. And same thing. Hey, I need to bring bring some equity to the table as well. Uh, I need I need a, a kind of a mini KP. I served in that role. So again, I was just it was just the timing was great. It was just very stressful time because, like I said, started a new job and still got the two kids. Of course, they're not going yeah. anywhere. And then two deals more or less at the same time. And then uh, yeah, it's funny. And then you you might go months with a quiet period, which is what followed after that. So I got some time to settle in. So uh, you were a part of the money raising on both of those deals, correct? Correct. Correct. And did you find that difficult? I got, were you doing that prior to uh, getting those deals or? So, so fortunately back, you know, back up a few months before that, it's funny, this part, this time last year, I really focused on, like I mentioned, building my brand and spreading awareness and anticipation that it might take a year or two to get into a deal. I didn't expect it to be four months later, but so I had really started my outreach to, you know, my friends and family circle, some corporate professionals I work with. That's where I started to socialize. I hate, here's what I'm doing. And I'm going to go to football games, you know, and just spread the word, handing out business cards. So I had a base of people that was out there. Now, actually going through your first one is a little bit nerve wracking, right? Mm-hmm, For those who haven't done it before, it's like, hey, oh my God, I'm handling other people's money. And I take that probably too seriously to mm-hmm. the point where it keeps me up, right? And I think that's what people, that's how you build trust with people is like you treat money better than you would your own. And that, that's how I do it. So, you know, I, I think that what, what was kind of, uh, I wouldn't say nerve wracking, but just getting through the logistics of thing, like, you know, using a portal for the first time and going through DocuSign and working with the attorney and just going through step by step. And once you've done it once, second one's not quite as bad. Third one will be, you know, quite a bit easier. It's just, you've gone through the motions, you've built the confidence. It does get easier at the more you do it, from my opinion. Interesting. Okay. So now were you, those people that you had met with in the beginning, um, did you just hit them with this deal out of nowhere or was it a constant relationship build over time? Constant relationship building. So it was kind of like with the point where I'd be sending out these, like, you know, my top five emails, uh, my, um, what do I call it? The drip feed from the CRM and say, Hey, here's what's so great about this. And I got a lot of people excited. They're like, okay, where's your deal? Like, I need, I, where can I invest? I, I built a lot of hype. And fortunately, you know, a few months later, we were able to get a deal under contract, but, you know, you start to build excitement and then you could quickly lose your audience if you don't have anything to offer them. So I was fortunate that I was able to deliver a couple of, a couple of solid quality deals in a short time frame. Some people may do that for years before right. yeah. really getting anything to close. So, 
So how many units were they and are you still holding on to them still? Or oh, like, yeah, what's yeah. your that's, future plan? That's funny that you asked that question, but in this day and age, it's not an unreasonable question. But normally, yeah, they're, they're both anticipated to be about a five, the second one, a seven year hold. They may okay. wind up being sooner than that, but 94 and 43 units respectively in Georgia and oh. South Carolina. Okay. Okay. So what kind of uh, properties, what's, what's your criteria look like, like right now and where are you looking? Probably like the same as everybody else in the multifamily business right now. So, uh, you know, value add type properties, class B, class C, you know, I, I wouldn't even rule out a class A at this point now, because just, you can't be so particular and so picky. It's almost mm-hmm. like if you're looking for the same thing as everybody else in the same areas, uh, it becomes extremely competitive as you guys know. Well, I'm yeah. sure most of you guys you've talked to say the same thing. So I, I like the Southeast again, like everybody else. Um, we've kind of started to pivot into a secondary market. Now we're looking at Kansas City really, really hard. So we build a nice team there. We're getting some offers out. We're investing final as we speak right now on a property. We'll see how it goes. But, um, you know, it's important. I think, you know, my one of my pieces of advice for somebody starting out is, you know, pick one market. I started out with two or three and it's you get a lot more traction, especially if you're doing it part-time to really focus on one market and do one thing really well. Again, going back, I was trying to do a jack of all trades, trying to raise money, trying to build a brand, trying to do the podcast, trying to work with brokers. I mean, doing that on a part-time basis is is not a recipe for fast success, in my opinion. So speaking of, uh, um, uh, so you jumped right into those two deals within five months, correct? I mean, that's, that's, we kind of skipped over that and took it as normal. Um, but but that's, that's pretty unusual. That's pretty remarkable. It is. So what do you credit that to? Like, uh, do you have just the the magic bullet? Not necessarily, but, um, what really helped you scale so quickly? I mean, I'll go back to kind of core strengths. You know, I I've always known from a, I'm not, I've never been in sales, but my, everybody tells me I probably should have been one of my core strengths is relationships, right. And relationship management. I really enjoy networking with people, like I mentioned, going to every multifamily event I could have and reaching out to everybody who showed any interest in, in helping me or me helping them on bigger pockets, just absolute relentless networking. In fact, my whiteboard every week would have, and again, I was thinking I was spreading myself too thin in the beginning, but I guess it paid off. Like, you know, what are my top three things each week to build a brand? Top three things to build an investor relations database. Top three things to connect with networking on, on like-minded individuals. And every week I would have three specific things or maybe three to five in a certain time period. And it's just over time as repetitions add up to big things. So I guess uh, what I was going to ask earlier, um, you obviously your father, you're an investor, you're a podcast host. What do you recommend to those that are also doing all those things? How do you balance your time? Yeah, it's just funny. People ask me this question all the time. And, and the truth it is there's no magic bullet that works for everybody, right? There's, there's no magic bullet in general, but there's specifically no methodology that, that one person will be a one size fits all, right? So for me, uh, I, I'm pretty ruthless with my time when it comes to a couple of concepts. One is time blocking. So I get up a lot earlier than everybody else in my house. So I really hit those couple hours in the morning hard before I get into the W2 or into giving the kids breakfast or getting them up. Um, so I really take advantage of the morning times. That's Monday to Sunday, really. That's, there's no breaks. Um, you really need to get the time in. Um, and secondly, as I mentioned, focus. Don't try to do everything at once. Uh, if it's going to be, if you're going to focus on finding deals, completely hammer, you know, working with brokers, or if you're doing off market, go that route. Do that, right? Don't try to do everything at once because you're only going to have realistically, I mean, my situation, maybe 10 to 20 hours a week without blurring the lines of like really compromising family life or compromising your W2. If you want everything to work in a sustainable way, 
you're going to have to really be ruthless with how you choose to spend your time. So those non-value added things, like for me, I deleted Facebook on my phone, just a lot mm. of non-value added, like just scrolling through stuff. So I keep Facebook. I, I still use that for my podcast launch and everything like that, but I only do it on Saturday morning. So time blocking for me, it's early mornings, maybe an hour or so after dinner, usually not in the middle of the day at lunchtime. I travel a lot and it's, that doesn't work for me. Some people might say, okay, cool. I'm a, I'm a, I'm not an early riser, but I like to stay up late. My brain, for me, this is already late. So my brain cuts off yeah. at like 9 p.m. So I'm just not, I'm not worthwhile after that. Some people may, may choose that, but my advice would be find your time, make it consistent, very, be very specific about how you spend your time, what you're getting out of it, and just constantly reevaluate it. It took me a while to get to the point where I feel like, okay, I can, I can, I'm not so stressed out and stressed so thin. I'm not trying to do everything. You know, I'm just trying to find deals and find dollars. That's what it comes down to for me. Yeah. yeah. So uh, now I'm just curious here. What time do you wake up? And what time do you go to bed? Um, generally between five and six. And I'll usually spring right out, put on some coffee. I'll do, you know, 20 minutes of reading, meditation, whatever. It's part of my routine. Uh, bed's pretty early for me. I got, I got two kids. Uh, I mentioned six and eight years old and I'm pretty worn out by nine. So I'll start to wind down. I'm usually in bed by 9 30 10 o'clock and then asleep not much longer after that but if you're getting up at five you need to you need to keep it at a reasonable hour so yeah. it probably sounds crazy to you guys but that, it's worked for me it does not work for everybody it actually yeah, no. hayden and i go to bed by 10 every day okay so it's yeah, yeah, yeah i recently i recently started getting up at a 459 just purely for bragging rights to say that i can get up before 5 a.m um yeah. which yeah. is you know quite literally 5 a.m uh, yeah. But still, it, you know, I, I do something similar and knock out two hours of work every every morning before actually having to go to the job. So um, I really like talking about those morning routines. That was, that was super. Yeah. Helpful. Yeah. I mean, these little things. I mean, there's there's, there's tons of books about it. Atomic Habits and the the one thing. And what's the other one? The early morning or there's tons of books out there that, that, that have a good reason for that. And it, it, there's science behind it and it works and all that. I, I guess uh, another tip I have is save the big projects when you have bigger amounts of time. So, you know, if you have, you want to redesign your website or you're going to hire a VA and come up with this whole process, don't try to squeeze it into an hour. I'll do it, you know, pre-vacations, or if I have a four hour block at the airport, oh, great. I can really utilize the sound time. So maybe queue up the smaller activities like, Hey, I got to respond to brokers. I'm going to just search Crexy for deals. I'm going to find a new property manager. That's the stuff you can tackle in your, in your week, your, your weekly time blocks with the bigger projects I would say for, airport downtime vacations or a day off here and there or Saturday mornings or something like that. So interesting. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into that next segment of the show, the questions from a cup. So Andrew, this segment, we ask you three questions from this here cup. Okay. Uh, just answer them to the best like of your it. ability. All right. I like it. I like it. Question number one, do you have a craziest real estate story? A craziest real estate story. You know, honestly, I, I'd say they're all equally balanced and just in challenging in different ways. I wouldn't say there's one that stands out. I will say I have, you know, some interesting contractor story dealing with real estate. So I mentioned one of those uh, short-term rentals I was playing with. It was one of the first we did in New Jersey and uh, it was a complete gut. It, the place was a dump and we knew that going, we bought for the location and my wife told me I was crazy. She's like, we just had my daughter. She's like, we're an infant. What are you doing? We, you know, like, let's get the daycare payment under her belt. I'm like, no, no, trust me. It's going to be fine. So fast forward about four months in the rehab. I found this contract. He was very reasonable, did really nice work. And then he just stopped showing up. So, you know, I said, so then he would call and he'd be like, Hey, can I come like, two weeks from now. I'm like, dude, I got to get this thing ready. Like rental season's coming up in a few months. So like, 
Vamanos, let's go. And uh, so he, he would come and go. And I'm finally, I'm like, all right, I had it with this guy. I'm going to bring in another contractor. So this, this, this new guy's name is George. So George comes, he does great work, same thing. And then Lee, who was the original contractor, would come back and they met each other on site. And for whatever happened, they broke out into a fist fight. <laughs> so, so yeah, that was, that was interesting. And that's when I was kind of like, mm, crap, maybe this, maybe this flipping one at a time is, is not going to be great, especially because I'm managing this from two hours away. It's not like I can get, I can run over there and I have a job. Right. So I'm not like, I can yeah. just leave in the middle of the day. So <laughs> they, 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 the, I think the police came, like, this was like five years ago. So my neighbors called me they're like, what do you, what's going on at your house? These guys are throwing a paint bucket at the other guy. It was crazy. Oh my God. So gosh. that, that one stands out. It wasn't like just the real estate deal. It was like the, the process of finding and vetting contractors. I'll probably be a little pickier about now, but that was, that was, that was fun. <laughs> oh gosh. That's a good story. Yeah. All right. Uh, question number two, what is your least favorite real estate activity? Mm, uh, bookkeeping, bookkeeping without a doubt. Yeah. With even ta- anything to do with tax accounting, bookkeeping, any of that crap. Agreed. Gotcha. Yeah. All righty. Uh, question number three, what is your favorite quote or do you have one? You know, I, I don't think it's a famous quote, but I, I think it's a, a something recent I heard. I don't know the author or unknown or something that somebody made up along the way, but uh, there's a quote that I heard and it's be the person you want your kids to be when they grow up basically. Mm-hmm. So be an, a fantastic role model for them. There's lots of good quotes. And I have a bunch written down that one recently resonated to me. Like, wow, if you can be a role model for your kids and what you want them to be, that's that says every that sums it up for me. That's great. Sounds good. Austin, well, I'll let you take over the uh, your mulligan section. All right. So this is the mulligan section. Uh, so in all of your investment career, what was your mulligan? What is the one thing that you would just you would want want to redo? And what did you learn? And I mentioned this before, and it wasn't like a pivotal deal or something like that that went south. But I, if I if I reset like even back a year from now. Uh, just in terms of mentality and focus, focus on one act, one real pivotal, uh, I'll call it focus area or strength. So if you're good at you know communicating with, with brokers and vetting deals and doing that, do that. Don't try to underwrite and asset manage and do acquisitions. It's just, it's especially if you're doing this on a part-time basis, even if you're doing it on a full-time basis, if you have time to do all those things and play all those roles. So for those in the audience wanting to be where you are, uh, what is the piece of advice that you would give them and what should they do first? That's a great one. So, you know, I, I think first and foremost, it, it kind of hand in hand. And I mentioned this on mm-hmm. every opportunity I get, cause I, I truly believe in it. It's just completely relentless, uh, relentless education and networking. So those two things uh, kind of will lead you will open a lot of doors. So I mentioned going on bigger pockets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't have to launch a thought leadership platform, like a podcast. It could be a blog but you need some way of getting your name out there. Yeah. Here's who I am and here's how I can help you. Here's how you can help me. And that's how everybody seems to get their start in this, uh, in this pocket of this world. So on that, on that thought. So you started your podcast around March, correct? Mm -hmm. Correct. March of 2020. So that was before the first multifamily deal. That's correct. That's so what was, what was the intention of that podcast? Was it, was it to be a thought leader? Yeah. I mean, ultimately over time, I mean, it's funny, the, with the actual results of it are a little bit different than what I set out to be and in some cases better in some cases, you know, maybe, maybe not as good, but ultimately it was like, yeah, let me establish myself. Let me learn from people who are out there who are really doing well. And some people who have not done so well and, and help share that with other people. And in, in the process, you slowly become that thought leader, 
but you know, then there's, then that's, I was kind of hesitating in the beginning because there's just tons of that. You, you guys know, there's just tons of investing oriented or real estate oriented podcasts out there. But then I kind of talked myself into it saying nobody's spin will be like mine is right. So mm-hmm. I've, I've got like my own thumbprint on that. Like I have, you know, keep it at 20 minutes or less, no fluff, no ads, you know, no banter back and forth. It's just straight to the gut of just give me your top piece of advice. Uh, give me some really tangible examples. And that's it. Like I just churned through and there's a lot of others that are not like that. There's lots of great shows and lots of ones that I feel like lose my attention in 10 minutes. So I'm like, let me, let me, let me give it a shot. Let me give it a swing. And in turn, what's been really cool is not to become just a thought leader, but I got lots of little emails from people that I've never met before. Some people that I, I haven't talked to in 20 years saying, Hey, I love your show. You're following along. You have no idea along the way. Mm-hmm. And it's cool because I love doing, and I, my favorite is doing like first or second time podcasters because it gives them a way to get their name out there. I'm like, well, that's really cool. It helps somebody get their name. Then it gets right. them on other shows. It might get them mm-hmm. a deal. So that's really cool. That's what's been rewarding. That was, I, I didn't expect the side benefits of, you know, I didn't really think about, Oh, how can I help? my guests get on other shows and that's what that's been a really unintended benefit which has been cool yeah yeah i i can say as a as a new listener of the uh of the podcast i i you've hit it on the head with as far as getting the squeezing as much as you can out of 20 minutes and um i'd highly recommend that to anybody listening to this to jump over there and listen to that as well and austin i think we can link that in the the show notes correct yeah 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 Perfect. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people talking about doing the, the no fluff thing, but your yours is the first one I've actually listened to that does it well. Um, <laughs> Thanks. So I try, I try to get better at, you know, every episode it's, it's never perfect, but it's a work in process like anything else. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, relate to that super hard. So, all right. Uh, trying to stick to that new Andrew Shutsky model of podcasting. Uh, <laughs> we're going to try to get you out of here under 30 minutes. So wrapping up here. What is one thing that you want people to know about you that we didn't get a chance to talk about today? I mean, there's a bunch. You're an interesting guy. We didn't even get to, into your career or anything, but uh, um, what would that be? Yeah, let me, let me just go with a fun fact. So maybe a little known fact of either, you know, even my coworkers may not know. I competed in uh, powerlifting for about really? six or seven years. So yeah, that was my way of, you know, getting that, that physical strength, the, you know, the mental clarity. It just, it worked well. It drives a sense of competition. It drives teamwork. I, I picked up a lot of fun, you know, I'd say habits and, and, you know, great life advice through that, through that uh, team sport. So, so was, was that the six years through high school or college or when was that? No, it was actually neither as post-college. So really? Was, yeah. And this was, yeah, this was while doing my house hacking and the short-term rentals. So yeah. Oh, wow. But Very this was cool. pre, I guess the, I guess it started pre kids at least. So um, yeah, I have a lot of hobbies, but that was a cool one. And I still train with a lot of the same guys now. Even don't compete as, as regularly, but uh, it still keeps you in shape. Mm-hmm. So similar, similar training to what you were doing, just not, not quite as intense or as often. Yeah. You know, it goes in pockets and, and we have like a rotate. We have one guy that trains with me. Um, his name's Mikey. He's been with me since college and we religiously show up day in and day out. And then we have like other guys that come and rotate through. They might come in a couple of years. They'll drop in, have babies, come, you know, they'll come back, leave. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, other than that, it's, it's been pretty, pretty consistent. We'll have days where you go really hard. And there's days like today, to be honest, where we're like, ah, hey, just go through the motions, you know? So it's just like any other, any other hobby or sport or career, really. So you're going to have great days and not as energizing days, but you just keep putting in the reps. And that's just what mm-hmm. makes life interesting. That's what keeps progress moving forward. So. That's great. All right. So what are you looking for right now and how can our audience help you with that? 
Deals and dollars, man. It's pretty, pretty simple. Uh, you know, if, if anybody out there is listening and they, they either come across, if you need help with your deal or you have something you'd love to get a second set of eyes on, more than happy to help uh, take a look at that, evaluate it, bring my knowledge, bring it, bring my team or experienced partners to the equation. And second piece would be boots on the ground. Like I mentioned, Kansas City, we're building out a network there quickly. And if anybody listening is in the area or has interest in the area, uh, boots on the ground are really helpful just to oversee contractors and just keep the PMs in check from time to time. So, Sweet. Great. Yeah. so I guess awesome. the last question of the day is where can people find out more about you? Love it. I love it. So a couple things. Uh, one is my investing business. This is Redline Equity. Our website is investwithredline.com. You can email me directly at andrew at investwithredline.com. And then of course the podcast which is crushing cash flow. You can find it at, we got a Facebook page. We're on LinkedIn. Um, we're on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, all the major platforms that should cover it. Awesome, man. Well, this has been a blast. We really appreciate you jumping on. I know you got a million other things to do and yeah. uh, appreciate you spending your time with us. No, I enjoy it. Hopefully if somebody can take away a couple of things from this, uh, my job is well done today. So absolutely. I think more than a couple, but uh, definitely appreciate you being on. Thank you everyone for listening to the show. We hope you gained something from today's episode and put it into action right away. Please make sure to share, subscribe, and review our podcast, as well as follow us on Instagram and TikTok at mulligans underscore underscore. This helps us to grow and share more great stories. My name is Austin Cole. I'm Hayden Wright. Signing, Signing off. off.